Good evening, everyone. It's Kay Freeman, your Sunday school teacher for this week. Uh, today, we are looking at the January 17th Sunday school lesson. The title of this lesson is Called in Authority. Called in Authority. Last week, Brother Tim shared with us the specific approach Jesus used as he called those to follow. When we learned how Jesus called his disciples from their respective jobs, they dropped everything to follow him. They learned to become fishers of men instead of fish. Like Brother Tim stated, as faithful disciples, our job is to catch the fish and then allow Jesus to clean them. So tonight, we will look at what it means to have authority and what does that do for one that has that authority. I will basically subtitle this lesson is, Where There is a Will, God Will Make a Way. So in today's lessons, we look at verses in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. It tells us about a group of friends who were willing to do whatever it took to see their friend be healed. Have you ever been to a place when there was standing room only? We see that here in Capernaum, which is where Jesus' base operations were set up as he first began his public ministry. It was likely that Simon Peter and Andrew's house was the location since Simon's mother-in-law had been healed there previously by Jesus. She was probably happy to assist with this hospitality as a result of that. Well, this was the type of service. It was full of excitement and anticipation. The text tells us in verse 1 that Jesus was in the house. And as a result, many were gathered together to hear Jesus preach and expecting to see miracles performed where the power of God was demonstrated and evidenced by seeing people healed. In fact, there were so many people around the door, there was no room for anyone else to enter. The people who entered into the house are not given names in the text, but we know that a group of friends got a very creative idea to enter in by the roof of the house. In verse 3, we see that they brought one sick of the palsy, who was so important to them that they lowered his lame body into the house through the roof. The friends considered their friend to be in dire straits or immediate danger. We may say imminent danger, which is how we see a lot of our loved ones today who were lost in sin. And uh, with the world in the condition that it's in right now, I'd be willing to say that many around us are in dire straits. And as in this lesson today, we, um, we need to make some immediate changes, some, some, some definitive action uh, that results in some change. And they did that. They did not accept the no room sign, but they, they did like the woman with the issue of blood. They were determined, so they pressed their way through the crowd. They uncovered the thatched roof and lowered the bed of their crippled friend, as he lay there helpless. In verse 5, the Bible says, When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Just to be clear, the Bible tells us it was the faith of the sick man's friends rather than just the lame man himself. And after seeing the great lengths that they were willing to go through, Jesus had no doubt that they believed that he alone had the power to heal their friend. Let's talk about making an entrance here. And at this extraordinary gesture, Jesus responds with an extraordinary healing. Now we see there is a direct connection between sin and sickness. 
God's forgiveness is often required for physical healing, and healing is often the physical evidence of forgiveness. You can read more about that in Exodus 15 and 26 or 2 Chronicles 7, 14. Psalms 14, 3 through 4, and Isaiah 19 and 22. We see this mindset continues into the New Testament when Jesus' very disciples asked him in John 9 and 2, Who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? However, we see Jesus treated this paralysis as if it were a spiritual malady or sickness. But either way, his greater need was to be forgiven of worldwide his greater need was to be forgiven of his sins. Isn't that our greater need today? Even in the spread of a worldwide pandemic, although many may not agree, but our greater need today is for God's forgiveness of sins. Have you ever looked at the sequence of events in Second Chronicles where it says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. That's four things that Second Chronicles calls us to do. Humble ourselves, pray, seek his face, turn from our wicked ways. Then, and only then, will he hear from heaven, and he will forgive our sin, and then he will heal our land. So those are the things that is basically subjected to our obedience. So if we're willing to do the four things that are mentioned here, I believe that Jesus would come in in a swift swoop and heal the, heal the land from where we're suffering right now from this pandemic. But as with our society, we want to get this payday without the work. We want to get the benefits without the time, and we want the blessings without the obedience. But God doesn't do it that way. As a matter of fact, he requires that we do things his way. Next, we look into the crowd who were in attendance in verse 6. We see that the thing Jesus said about forgiveness requires quite a stir among some folks called scribes. Scribes were well-educated people. Uh, they were educated in God's written word and, and the oral interpretation of his word. We would probably call them theologians today. These folks were viewed with negative connotation and they were typically uh, seen as critics, uh, especially to the words of Jesus as he was teaching. They were considered as skeptics or cynics of Jesus, not followers or even fans. They questioned in their mind, who would Jesus, who does Jesus think he is that he could forgive sins? That was specifically a divine work done only by God. No mortal man had that kind of power and priests could only offer sacrifices for the forgiveness of those who took the proper steps to repent. It appears in verse 8 through 9 that Jesus has offered this man something that was not within his power to give. You can read more on that in Exodus 34, 6 through 9, Psalms 130, 2 through 4, and Isaiah 43, 25. But Jesus spoke with such authority and this is where our lesson title comes from today. Authority is defined as someone with power, influence, clout, or someone who is an expert. So in their minds, Jesus was not God, and it was considered blasphemy for him to boast this arrogant offense against the authority of God. As a matter of fact, the law of Moses pronounced the penalty for blasphemy was death by stoning in Leviticus 24, 
10 through 16 and Numbers 15, 30 through 31. Jesus not only reads their thoughts, which they didn't seem to question, but then he responds to them. So this paves the way for Jesus' declaration of physical healing. Jesus responds to their accusations verbally with a question, as was the practice of debate back in those days. Uh, FYI, I wonder if that's where the game show Jeopardy got their practice of the use of questioning. Either way, uh, Jesus asks, which is easier to forgive sins or to heal the sick? The reality is both of these are impossible for human beings, but they are both very easy for God. While they are thinking in awkward silence, Jesus makes his final declaration in verse 11. He says, Arise and take up thy bed and go thy way into thine house. The commentary writer calls this statement a climatic pronouncement, with Jesus telling his authority by stating he is the Son of Man. This self-description occurs about 80 times in the gospel, and this title connects his person and his work. In other words, it's what he does and who he is, was answered in this single phrase. I love the way the text summarizes this. In addition to having the authority to forgive sins, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath in Mark 2 and 28, who came to give his life as ransom in Mark 10 and 45, and rise from the dead in Mark 8, 31, 10, 33-34. And he is the one who will one day come in the clouds with great power and glory in Mark 13, 26 and 14, 62. So let's take a look at the technical distinction between power, which is the ability, and authority, which is the right to do something. Jesus has them both in unlimited quantity. So in the end, we see his ability to heal physically was tangible proof of his ability to heal spiritually by the forgiveness of sins. Then Jesus shifts his attention back to the paralyzed man. And if this man could obey Jesus' command to arise, it would be evident to everyone that Jesus has the capability to do the miraculous healing. And in verse 12, we see the lame, paralyzed man immediately arose and he picks up his bed and walks before them all. In conclusion, the friends obeyed, the friends believed, the man obeyed, and then he was healed. There could be no evidence of his faith without his obedience first. Finally, we read, they were all amazed and glorified, God saying, we never saw it on this fashion which means Jesus spoke with authority from God, affirming his declaration of forgiveness with legitimate providing, which was legitimate and provided evidence that the kingdom of God they had only read about was finally here at hand. The scribes may not have glorified God, but they certainly had to acknowledge the miracle they had witnessed, whether or not they believed in his forgiveness. No significant or permanent healing can occur apart from reconciliation with God. Let that be noted. Jesus was the incarnation. In Exodus fifteen twenty six, he says, I am the Lord that healeth thee. So I want to close with this final statement. When we come expecting to see a move of God without doubt, disbelief, or skepticism, 
God does not disappoint, and our worship will be only as meaningful as we have prepared ourselves to make it. The commentary writer put that in there, and I just thought it was spectacular. So what can we do to help people have a sense of awe in worship? It's really simple. Come expecting God to move. Thank you. That concludes our Sunday School lesson for tonight. See you next week.